share this. I don't normally do this, but uh, I just feel that God impressed in my heart to encourage you guys to turn to your neighbor and just tell them God is passionately in love with you. Could you do that? Amen. Yeah. He is passionately in love with you because that's the truth. And um, again, while we were praying this morning, I just again, uh, reflected on the, on the wonderful privilege of being able to come before God, creator of the universe, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, as Paul put it, to be able to come into his presence and speak to him and also hear from him. That's amazing. It's wonderful, wonderful privilege. And oftentimes I take it for granted. But God wants to express his heart, how much he's so in love with you. And uh, yeah, just, just want to put it there. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about holy grace. We're going to continue our, our series on, on, on this theme. If you notice the past, Four weeks apart from last week, we were talking about living wholeheartedly for God, or living, living out a holy life for God, or our call to be holy. And if you, if you notice in those messages, interwoven in those messages are themes of grace, because it is impossible to live a holy life according to God's standard without grace. And this morning, I'm going to talk specifically on grace. Because we believe that you know, God's holiness and God's grace are not, are not opposite to each other. You know, in fact, the, the, we need God's grace for us to live a holy life, for us to actually live that wonderful calling uh, for God, of God for our, for our lives, to live out that abundant life that God has for us. But we need God's grace. And today I'm going to talk about unexpected grace. And I was... Meditating on the title, if you, if you really think about the title, there's a, there's a redundancy in the title. There's a repetition in the title because grace by nature is unexpected. Many people define grace as undeserved favor, unmerited favor, God's blessing and favor over us, which we don't merit, we don't earn it by you know, working too hard. It's God's blessing. But if you, if you really think about it, you know, it's precisely the, that grace is unexpected. That's where we truly appreciate grace. Do you know what I mean? That's when we, we say, wow, that's amazing, God. Well, have you, you know, people who, who are recipients of God's grace often say, I didn't see that coming. That, that's unexpected. And the reason why it's unexpected, because people who are recipients of God's grace, us, often think or expect the opposite. <laughs> Let me, let me give you an example. Remember um, Stuart's example about two weeks ago, Doreen, uh, is Doreen here? Doreen Blackman? She's not here. Oh, she's, oh, she's, oh hi, Doreen. How was your meeting with the queen? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to pick up on that. So Doreen met up with the queen to receive a, a reward. And Stuart asked, what if one day you hear news that, Doreen, you're not just going to be meeting the queen, but you'll be queen of England? It's like, wow, that's unexpected, <laughs> right? But maybe 
for some of you would say, yeah, that's right. Doreen deserves it. She's, she's a wise woman. She's a beautiful woman. She's a nice woman. She can lead the country well, you know. But grace even goes beyond that. Imagine Doreen is a terrorist. For the record, she's not. <laughs> For the record, she's not. Imagine Doreen is a terrorist, or oh, an enemy of the royal family, and she's in hiding, you know. And then one day she got the news that she's been found by the royal family. And she's expecting that she's going to be punished, right? But then the royal family would say, no, I'm, not, I'm going to pardon you from all your sins, all the things you've done. But not only that, I'm going to invite you to become one of the royal family. And it's that moment of unexpected, you know, that's when we truly appreciate grace. I didn't expect, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. But the challenge for us, for us who have been receiving God's grace, and God put this in my heart, is to daily live in appreciation of God's grace. Because in, in our Christian walk for a while, you sort of, okay, that's God's grace, you know, that's, you know, that's good. And we lose appreciation. We lose that, wow, God, you're amazing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. And when that happens, when we lose the appreciation of God's grace, we forget his blessings. We forget who he is in our lives, what the things he has done. And we focus on the things that we need or we don't have or our challenges. Now, please hear me, hear me up here because it's, yeah, it's good for us to think about the things that we need to offer that to God. But God wants us to bring those needs from a place of thankfulness, from a place, from a heart of Thanksgiving, an attitude of humility and thanksgiving before God. But you notice this is, an, this, is an, this is not new. This is an ancient trickery of the enemy. If you notice in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Let me pause from there. Now, what, the, what did the enemy manage to achieve from this simple conversation? Well, the enemy managed to take Eve's off from all the other trees that God has given to them for provision and to focus on that one tree that she was not allowed, or they were not allowed to eat. They've forgotten, Adam and Eve, in this particular instance, Eve forgotten all the other trees, and the enemy managed to make her focus on that one tree. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, all my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name, and forget not all His benefits. It's good for our soul to remember the blessings of God. Because if you don't remember, we just focus on the things that we don't have. The things that we, you know, we, we, we struggle. And we, we forget that God has already done so much for us, for our lives. And then it goes on. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
The second thing that the enemy managed to do here is to take Eve's, to take, to take Eve's focus off from God onto herself, onto themselves. You will not certainly die. Your eyes will be open. You will become like God. The enemy is cunning. Simple statements like this. You, be, you lose focus on God, His provision, who He is. And I was reflecting on this, God, you know, I, I know you're gracious. I know you're good. But sometimes why do I not, like, enjoy it? Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm the only one here, but do, do you know that? And God spoke to me, you know what, Dominic, because sometimes you have a very low view of myself. You approach God from your, you approach grace from your perspective, not from my perspective. In our desire to, to empower people, we talk about grace, elevating the value of man, but in the process, diminishing the value of God. Which it should be the other way around. In order for us to truly appreciate grace, we should see the value of God. Because in seeing the value of God, we can truly see the value of men. I was reminded while contemplating on this, on, on Paul's word to, to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in love, or because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. But it doesn't stop there. This is verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. What's, what's the reason? Verse 7. It says, in order that he might show the incomparable riches of God's grace. God's grace shown through us through the kindness of his son, Jesus Christ. God raised us up. God, didn't, God made us alive, but he didn't leave us there. God raised us up, seated us in the heavenly realms, so that he can display his grace in the coming generation. And oftentimes, in our desire to empower men, and that's good. That's good. We, you know, I, I often say this to people, God loves you, and those, those are truths. But I did wonder, in their in their mind, whose God is loving them? Whose God are they loving? What, whose image of God? Now, am I making sense? And so you see now that this beautiful nature of God, His holy, sovereign, as Paul puts it, eternal, immortal, sovereign God, pours out grace abundantly. And that's when we truly appreciate grace. That's when we truly appreciate grace. I read this quote from, from an author, John Piper. It says, Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. Grace is radically and joyfully God-centered. When we see grace from God's perspective, not from our perspective, I mean, you, you have that element of surprise again. Wow, God. And the more we have that element of surprise, the more the appreciation, the more that thankful attitude, the more that, 
the more that, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. You know what I mean? And my desire for this message, that was only an introduction message, is for us to raise the appreciation of grace again. We've heard so many messages about grace. But my prayer is that, God, would you surprise us again? You know, we, we can't fathom God. It, it's amazing. God's grace is amazing through that unexpected nature of, of God's grace. And, and the way I would like to talk about unexpected nature of God's grace is to revisit a familiar story in the Old Testament. David and Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9. Mephibosheth. I practice that so I can pronounce it well. Mephibosheth. <laughs> That's a good Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel 9, David and Mephibosheth. Now let me give you a context of this story. Um, you know, David at this time was already king of Israel. The former king already died. His name was Saul. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. Okay? Jonathan and David were best friends. They, were, they loved each other. But, John, but Saul and Jonathan at this time already, they're already dead. Okay? And at this, the story in 2 Samuel 9, this time David was the new king of Israel. And so here, verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now for us, now in the modern times, we think, oh, that's a normal question. Yeah, we do that. But we have to put this in the context, in the context, because in those days, it was customary for the new king to find every single relative of the previous king to kill them. That was a custom. That was a tradition. And the reason for that tradition was because of fear. Fear that the relative of the previous king would gather enough forces to rebel against the new king because they were the rightful heir to the, tr- to the throne. So it was normal for the new king to eliminate, annihilate, annihilate, massacre, kill every single relative of the previous king. And here we see David going against that norm, going against that tradition. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And this is, this is anyone who would have heard David for this, what are you asking, king? You're supposed to find your enemies and kill them, not to show them kindness. What are you doing? But that's precisely grace. Grace is not bound by man-made tradition. Grace, grace does not conform to the human rules and regulations. If you notice in the New Testament, Jesus breached so many norms to show grace, love, and kindness to all sorts of people. Jesus healed on Sabbath days, which was unlawful back then. Jesus touched a leper, again, which was unlawful Back in those days, Jesus commended a woman who had bleeding for 12 years when this woman touched the edge of his cloak because the law says anything that this woman would touch would be unclean. Jesus should have told him of according to tradition. But no, Jesus commended the woman. Grace does not bow down to man-made tradition. And I've reflected many times, or oftentimes I look at myself, how many have I... How many opportunities have I missed of showing God's grace and showing God's kindness because I was so conformed to the tradition of men? Do you know what I mean? But here, David is going, the king goes against tradition. And the, anyone who have heard David who would have heard David here, why are you looking for a relative of I didn't expect that I didn't expect that king. 
Well, the thing is, grace finds and blesses unexpected people. Grace asks unexpected questions. Why would you find your enemy and give them, show them kindness? I didn't expect him to receive that kindness. Well, the Bible says, well, we were God's enemies. Christ died for us. We were. You know, people we don't expect to receive us. Grace finds and blesses unexpected people. And then it says, it goes on to verses 2 through 4. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Where is he? The king initiates the search. Where is he? Don't you think this question echoes God's question in the Garden of Eden? Where are you? Grace finds, grace initiates. Grace is, uh, Stuart was mentioning a while ago, God is searching you. I recently um, misplaced my phone about, about three weeks ago, but I found it. Don't worry, I found it the following day. Some of you know about the story. And um, so what, what, what I was looking for, it, I tried to, to search the house and, and I go to the car, try ringing it, but I don't want to you know, drain the battery just in, in case I can still, you know, uh, whatever, find ways of finding it. But... I, I didn't find it. And then the following day, I found it. It was just right next, in the drive, beside the driver's seat. And I told Alisa, it's not even like impossible to see it. Because it's just right next to me. And I said, Alisa, here it is. And you know what Alisa told me? And she said, that's the result of you man looking. <laughs> so that, that's a, guys, that's a sexist comment. Don't you think so? <laughs> Are you suggesting that man doesn't look properly? And then I, I felt God spoke to me and he said, Dominic, when I search for my lost sons and daughters, I do not man look. I do not man. I even sent my own son to, to find them. You know, remember, and this is when I, 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 I found out that man looking is biblical. When I, I look at the story of the lost coin in Luke chapter 15, and, and Luke says, Luke uses a woman to represent God. He says, suppose a woman loses 10 silver coins. Okay, God. Yeah, okay, I get, I get it now. 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweeps the whole house, and f- carefully searches for the coin? And when she finds it, she would call her friends and say, Rejoice with me, for I found my coin. In the same way, there will be great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. God does not man look when he searches for lost sons and daughters. But, but, but also, when I was contemplating on this particular point, you know, those who, are, who don't believe in Jesus, they're not the only ones who are lost. Sometimes even believers may not, may not be our salvation, 
but we lose our sight of God and we lose living the life that God has called us to live. We lose sight of that. And God told me, I will also search them carefully and I will find them. I, you know, uh, in the story of um, the, the lost sheep, you know, uh, the shepherd left the 99 sheep and the lost sheep was basically somewhere in the hills. I'm just paraphrasing the story. And um, I, I think got caught by the stick or whatever. And the sh- I'm not a shepherd, so if you're a shepherd, you know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with um, sheep. But in one of my studies of this particular passage, he sa- the, the author said that sheep are social animals. And when they realize that they have strayed away from the flock, they, be- they become bewildered and literally couldn't do anything, you know, and, and, and literally just waits for the shepherd. That's why it says that the shepherd picked him and put him on the shoulder because the, the sheep couldn't do anything. And oftentimes when we, even Christians get lost and we come to that point, God, I'm helpless. I just, I just couldn't do anything anymore. I need you. At that time, God is already searching for you. God is looking for you. So the first is God, grace always initiates. Before we, it says, it was Albert who prayed for this this morning. It's not, this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us first. Grace always initiates. And look at the story, of uh, the answer of Ziba. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. But notice, David did not pay any attention of that information at all. I don't care how, how Jonathan's son looked like. I don't care what his economic status is. I don't care who he is, his, his, his appearance. I don't care how he looks like. Because grace does not discriminate. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, whosoever, anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. In the New Testament, Jesus ministered to all sorts of people to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the Pharisees, to the tax collectors, to the lame, to the deaf, to the blind, to dead people. He ministered to all sorts of people, to men, women, to children, because grace does not discriminate. And I look at myself, Lord, how many times I've missed the opportunity of extending God's grace because I have profiled someone, I have discriminated someone. When we live out that grace-filled life, you notice that you will not <laughs> discriminate people. You won't care what economic status is, their, their race, their gender. You just want to extend God's kindness and love for them because grace does not discriminate. And it says, verse 5, Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar from the house of Makir, Son of Amiel. So Jonathan's son is not living, is not even living in his own house. He's living in someone else's house. And the place Lodibar means actually a pastureless land. A land characterized by desolation, by devastation. It's an empty land. It's a waste land. So Jonathan's son is hiding 
in someone else's house in this waste land. Now, let me just let, let us just zoom in to Jonathan to Mephibosheth is the name of Jonathan's son to his life here. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan when he was five years old. His father and his grandfather, Saul and Jonathan, died in the battle. And his nurse heard the news, and the nurse quickly picked him up and running away, escaping from the enemies, and in the process dropped him. You can read it in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. And when, he dropped, when she dropped her, him, basically, according to scholars, basically hit his lower spine, and she, he became lame. So look at Jonathan. Jonathan was supposed to be a prince. You know, that was, that's his identity. And suddenly, he just heard the news that his father, his grandfather died, and now, you know, he's living with his nurse, and he's lame, he's useless. He's also in hiding from the king, because he, he knows he's an enemy of the king. You see, you know, you see the plight of Jonathan here, and Mephibosheth here. Mephibosheth is hiding, afraid, poor, useless, desolate. And he's hiding in this place. But it says David had him brought from Lodibar. Well, grace takes us out from barren places. Oftentimes when we lose sight of God's abundant life, which happens to me many times, it's only by His grace that I was able to get out of it and bring me back on that track to living the abundant life. Grace takes us out of barren places. Where to? Well, we'll find out. Where to? So David had him brought from Lodiver from the house of Machir, son of Abiel. Verses 6 through 7. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David, David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Just pause for a moment here. Imagine Mephibosheth's fear. One day, he heard a knock in the house. Oh, the king wants to see you. Okay, this is it. I've been hiding all my life, and finally, I've been found. Yeah, that's it. Any, any moment now, my life could end. Imagine his fear. Do you, do you know what I mean? Imagine his fear. He's probably waiting. Any moment now, the sword will just, you know, touch him. At your service, he replied. And then David said, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather's soul, but not only that, and you will always eat at my table. Wow. Well, first, grace takes our fears away, restores what is rightfully ours, and then invites us at the king's table. That's grace. Who would do that? God. You know, grace would take someone, an enemy of the king, hiding in fear from a broken place, and he himself is broken, and restores everything that belongs to him. He's a prince, remember, from the very beginning, and gives him back everything that was rightfully his, and he was invited to eat at the king's table. What a picture of God's grace to us, guys. 
we are always invited to have fellowship with the king at his table, at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's, he's baffled at this time. Why would you do that? Why would you show kindness to me? Look at me. You know, sometimes when we react to God's grace, we turn to ourselves. Because grace is radically and joyfully God-centered. Grace is primarily for the pleasure of the one giving it and the one receiving it. It's all for God's glory. It's all to magnify how good, good God is. And oftentimes, not me. And guys, I don't care. I don't care how broken you are. You know, I love you. And this is because I'm passionate to have this relationship with you. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that you, your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Grace transforms us from being enemies of the king to being his sons and daughters. That's amazing. Remember Mephibosheth was a prince. He used to eat at the king's table. And then because of the wickedness of his ancestors, he became an enemy of the king. It's just like a story, guys. You know, when God created man in the Garden of Eden, he, the, the authority that God gave us, like we are like kings and princes. We've lost that. But God, through Jesus Christ, is restoring what is rightfully ours. You will take dominion in this world. Do you know what I mean? But not only that, from this point on, you will eat at my table. You will eat at the king's table. God is basically just restoring what has been lost from the garden. He's giving us to us what is rightfully ours and beyond what we deserve. To bring us back to that intimacy with him. To bring us back to this fellowship with him. That is, that is grace. Should we pray?